thanks for joining us on Back On Air, the podcast for operators who have compliance on their mind and road transport at the heart of their business. This podcast is a recording of our live fortnightly webinar held every other Friday. So if you like what you hear and fancy joining the live event where you can ask questions and vote on our interactive polls, just register through the link in the show notes. The content of this podcast is correct at the time of broadcasting, but it isn't meant to be specific legal advice. If, however, you need advice, we recommend that you take proper legal advice for your individual situation. Finally, please do leave us a review and, of course, details of any areas you would like us to cover in future episodes. We do read them and it helps others find our podcast. Enjoy! Good morning, depending whether you've had lunch or not. Chloe's just handed me a piece of paper, which is why I've started. Um, the piece of paper reads, hang on, I've just got to, she's back, she's the best. Welcome back, Chloe West. <laughs> All right, welcome back, Chloe West. I did not hand him that. <laughs> I'll over to Chloe. I did not hand him that, just to clarify. <laughs> um, good morning, everybody, or good afternoon, or lunchtime. Uh, hello, and yes, I am back for a kid day. I like funny theme tune actually, so I will be requesting it every time I'm back. Um, we've got a great, great webinar for you today. I'm actually really excited for it myself. We've got a full packed panel, so I won't be on too long. A couple of things from me. Just one thing actually today, the questions box is on the right hand side of your screen. I know a lot of you will be very familiar with this. If you've got any questions throughout, please, please put them in there and I will try and get them asked. I'll make sure they get asked one way or another. Any technical problems, please let me know uh, and I'll try my best to answer it there. And I think that's all I have to say. So I'll hand over to Jonathan with no theme tune from me. And she did give me that piece of paper just before we started. Nobody believes it. Um, so good afternoon. And first of all, uh, let me talk who, who the team is today because we've got a new member. So first of all, obviously, uh, my doppelganger, my twin, um, so good they made me twice, James, uh, and of course Laura Hadzik, who's a regular on these webinars, uh, Joe, who's going to talk us through the budget, and then the new guy, John, who's also called Jonathan actually, but for some reason he likes to go by the name John, um, and John's going to be talking to us, John's background is education and training, um, so he's going to talk to us about some techniques, some management type styles that uh, may be of some help, some interest to uh, some of you with regard to one of the key topics we're talking about this afternoon. Um, but without further ado, uh, let's look at what we're going to talk about today. Oh, Chloe's not even switched the slides. What? And uh, first of all, a very quick breaking news item. You've probably all heard about it anyway, but we're going to uh, just quickly deal with that. And then Joe's going to talk at some length about the spring statement. Uh, and then there's going to be a discussion with regard to the role of the transport manager, but a little bit different perhaps to um, the sort of discussions you've had before on that role. Uh, and it's a lot of this is about communication. Uh, so um, I think you'll find it very interesting. So first of all, um, as you're probably aware, if you've actually read the paper or looked or listened to the news on the radio or just surfed the internet this morning, um, today's the day that the changes to the mobile phone legislation come into effect. And what does that mean? Well, there were some loopholes, which very clever lawyers could get 
um, you off uh, from an offence of using your mobile phone whilst driving. If you were saying, well, actually, I wasn't using my mobile phone, I was using the navigation app or I was using uh, the music app, then uh, you potentially have a defence. In fact, you did have a defence to uh, quite a few, uh, with quite a few excuses. So the government, I think over a year ago now, said they were going to change the law. Well, they have, and it comes into effect today. So basically, if you're using a mobile phone, if you've got a mobile phone in your hand from today whilst you are driving, except for in very rare circumstances, for example, an emergency, um, you cannot use that phone. You will be committing an offence just by holding it, not because it's a phone, but whatever that device does, um, you shouldn't have it in your hand. So um, some of the big changes are if you're supervising a learner driver, you can't use your mobile phone. Um, if you stop to traffic lights, you can't use your mobile phone. If you're queuing in traffic, you can't use your mobile phone. And um, even if you've got one of those cars that turns the engine off when you stop moving, uh, that is not parked. That is still waiting in traffic and you can't use your mobile phone. Um, and even if it's offline or in flight mode, so it couldn't be used as a telephone, it's still going to be an offence now to be using a mobile device. And that's going to be, uh, and that's from today. So it's six points and up to a thousand pound fine if you get caught. Or a ban. Or a ban, yeah. So be very aware that, um, uh, that the law's changed. Make sure all your drivers are aware of it. I'm sure you have very rigid policies anyway, but make sure your drivers are aware of it and make sure that you're enforcing that as firmly and as strongly and as clearly as you can. You will be expected to have told your drivers. All right. That's the end of the exciting breaking news section. And now let's move on. So Joe will pop up on the screen. There we go. Joe's had quite a dramatic morning, but I won't leave her to tell you all about that. Uh, but somehow she made it in time, as only Joe can. Now then, Joe, um, Rishi gave a uh, spring statement yesterday. And in that spring statement, he saved the day for all of us, hasn't he? Well, some may say and some may not say. Uh, we were hoping he would come charging in on his white horse to uh, save us from the burgeoning cost of living crisis, which has uh, resulted really from post-pandemic and also the war in Ukraine and uh, obviously all the things that have happened because of that high energy prices. So the backdrop, Jonathan, is obviously, I probably don't even need to state this, but prices have been rising at an unprecedented rate here. We've had a 6.2% rise in the last 12 months to February. That's the fastest rise in prices in 30 years, uh, along with the rising inflation. The UK economy has also not been growing at the speed that it had been predicted to, to grow. So that's the backdrop. But what did he actually promise? Uh, I'm going to look at about half a dozen things, Jonathan, although he did say lots of other things. We don't have time to cover all of them. Did so he give any indication uh, of time scale for where he thought that we might recover or not? Uh, I'm not aware of the top of my head. The Office for Budget Responsibility has cut its prediction of our forecast of growth from 6% uh, to 3.8% this year. And it does forecast a, uh, a moderate growth uh, in several years going forward after that. Um, I heard him talking on the radio the other day, for example, about um, the fuel prices. And a lot of it, he was saying, at the moment, it's quite hard to predict, obviously, 
because of the volatile worldwide situation. Who knew we were so dependent on Russia? Precisely. So should we have a look at the first one, fuel duty? Yeah, far away. So everyone here will have known that fuel duty has been cut by 5p a litre. That happened Wednesday at 6pm. That's for until March 2023. In fact, actually, it's only the second time it's been cut by this much in 20 years. It is very welcomed. But I think the RHA made a pretty pertinent point in one of their videos this week where they were saying, actually, it barely makes a dent. Do you know, it actually only puts us back to the price fuel was a week ago. Yeah, yeah so. and, and in fact, the fuel prices are going up that fast. It barely makes any impact at all. What could he have done? Well, what I think he could have done several things. One of the things that some people are saying he could have done was um, he could have decreased the VAT on fuel as opposed to the duty, which would have meant almost guarantee that that would be passed on to customers at the pump. Um, as it is, there is a possibility that some retailers won't pass on this uh, decrease. Although I have heard quite a few have. What about you? Have you heard? Um, I think the starting point is that, that, that they probably will, because I think they're as desperate to get to encourage people to buy fuel. Obviously, people are getting more reluctant to buy fuel now. Um, so I think uh, they may pass it on. But I'm not sure the consumer will actually notice uh, or, uh, because 5p on something that's going up by almost 10p every two or three days is negligible, isn't it, in, in the big picture? Absolutely. So. If we turn now to uh, wages, shall we say, uh, the first arm of this where there was change that's been introduced was national insurance. So the income threshold, that's the point at which you start paying national insurance, will rise to £12,570 in July. Uh, so that is apparently a tax cut for employees worth over £330 a year. There is something very similar for self-employed. It's known as the lower profits limit. And I won't go into the details, but he has uh, put that there for them too. So that is, is welcome for many people. The second arm is income tax. There's going to be a cut to basic rate of income tax from 20p in the pound to 19 before the end of the first of this parliament. But that isn't until April 2024, interestingly. Well, yeah, it sounds like um, a 5% cut in income tax, but actually it doesn't come in for two years. So um, it's 24%. Yeah, well, if I was a cynic, I might say it might be something to do with the fact that there's predicted to be a general election around that time. Sorry, my brother's arguing with me about whether it's 5% cut. It's a 5% cut in the tax threshold. It's a 1% cut of the 100% of your, of your wage. So I was doing maths in my head. He was never good at that. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a, it's, we, we often say it's a, a penny in the pound. So uh, effectively from 19 to yeah. 19. Um, and moving on to employment allowance, this is a, a business relief. It gives small businesses um, uh, a chance to reduce their employer's national insurance contribution bills slightly each year. Um, it is quite technical, but the relief will increase from 4,000 to 5,000. Now, moving on to the green agenda here, uh, there were two things that came out for the green agenda. Did you hear about these, Jonathan? The, um, uh, to a degree, yes. I mean, they talk about this green agenda, but it's, I find it quite hard to actually understand um, what this equipment machinery is, how you get it, whether most businesses can really benefit from this. 
Yeah, and that remains to be seen. In this instance, we've got a two-tier uh, benefit. The first is for business. So what he's done is he announced in the uh, budget that there would be a business rates exemption for companies who wanted to invest in green technology. So the things we're talking about are like solar panels, battery storage, stuff like that. Um, he's actually bringing that forward now to the 1st of April this year rather than the same date uh, next year. Um, and then the second arm to this is... Um, you can, you can get some um, exemption from business rates when you invest in this eligible plant and business machinery if it's used on site um, for renewable energy generation and storage. That's a phrase I struggle with. Um, there's also 100% relief for eligible low carbon heat net networks with their own rates bills. That's very technical. And I think those businesses that do or int are interested in that will know if that applies to them. The second arm is for consumers and home earners installing similar sorts of uh, kit, uh, energy efficient materials, heat pumps as well, insulation, solar panels. That The VAT on that is going to be cut from 5% to zero. So that might be good if you're a business supplying those um, materials. You, you're likely to see a surge in in, in uh, customers there. And obviously, if you well, are obviously there are schemes though for quite a few of these things, aren't there? That um, I mean, we, we get things through the post and also emails and everything else. Except for my house appears not to be eligible for anything. Um, and so, uh, in reality, uh, if you can benefit from those things, they're probably really valuable. What I'm quite interested in here, and you probably don't know the answer, but I'd be interested if the listener um, had any um, uh, had any views on this. How many businesses in reality can convert, for example, their heating systems into a low carbon <clears throat> heating system? Because, I mean, many businesses use leased or rented property or premises. Um, uh, a lot of premises is old. The heating systems and things are very well established. I, I don't really know what simple solutions businesses can invest in that will actually give them access to what looks great on paper, but in reality, uh, they can never really access. Now, it might be that I'm completely wrong there, and I'd be really interested if anybody listening has got a different perspective on this or has been able to take advantage of it. So please say so in the uh, question section or the chat section, and then Chloe will, uh, will let us know. Yeah, that would be interesting to hear, wouldn't it? Now, having looked at four or five key areas. I just want to spend two minutes before I go and let James speak. He's obviously very keen bean um, about whether or not we think the government went further and far enough. And if not, what else could they have done? Um, there's been some suggestion, Jonathan, that the government's been a bit guilty of fueling car led travel. And by that, I mean, in other countries throughout the world, they've looked at they've looked at, for example, with transport subsidising it. So Ireland introduced a 20% discount for season tickets on public transport. New Zealand halved its cost of public transport. Tasmania is making buses free for commuters. And this is, has been a, a longer term and perhaps a more impactful way to deal with the fuel crisis and to help businesses who are being particularly affected by that. Um, something the RHA were lobbying for was uh, about having an essential fuel user rebate for coaches and lorries uh, to bring UK operating costs in line with our key European competitors. I believe, Jonathan, that they already have this in France, Spain, Belgium and Ireland. Have you heard much about it? Yeah, well, they do protect their um, public service sector, particularly in those countries. Um, and what's also interesting is um, that uh, I mean, in London, for example, on TfL, it is quite heavily subsidised, is, um, is transport. 
and therefore very effective and used by a lot of people. But it's extremely expensive to deliver. But but that is uh, that 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 is a, um, a subsidy of a heavily subsidised uh, public transport sector. But um, yeah, if you want to move people away from the car and onto public transport, you've got to make it attractive. And by demonstrating obvious cost savings, that um, that will make it attractive. So if it becomes much cheaper to run a bus because your fuel's cheap, or you're getting a huge subsidy. Uh, then um, people will buy tickets and travel in to save their car fuel um, uh, um, and also parking fares and everything else that comes with it. I think some people just felt it was a bit of a short-term look and there could have been a longer-term vision taken. Now, moving on from that... Do you think Rishi's ever caught the bus? Sorry? Do you think Rishi's ever caught the bus? Uh, I'm not so sure it's something he uses regularly, no. I think he's one of the uh, wealthiest people and married to a family that's one of the wealthiest families in the world or something. So I don't think he's short of a bob or two. Um, so, uh, yeah. Maybe so one other... Sorry. Maybe he doesn't catch the bus that often. Maybe he doesn't catch the bus that much. I think that might might be it. Moving on then to the, a different sector. Um this is particularly relevant to farmers and those who work in the chilled food industry. Another thing that we could have done was delay the changes to red diesel. Now, we recently did a training session on this and then the rules are changing from the 1st of April. And I think that's quite significant for a lot of people that use red diesel. That could have been held off and it hasn't, unfortunately. And then two other areas I think you could have looked at. Um, there was a there's a, a cut in business rates, a 50 percent cut in business rates for those in the retail, leisure and hospitality sectors that was announced. That was quite quiet. I didn't hear too much about that. That could have been extended uh, to a wider remit. And I know when that was in play, uh, when there was the whole whole relief previously, that people found that very, very helpful. And then the other thing people are mentioning is the windfall tax on energy companies. Why hasn't that happened? So there are. There's always different views on these things, but there are other things, more long term things I think Rishi perhaps could have done. Don't forget, everybody, you're going to have a corporation tax increase on the 1st of April um, 2023. Um, if you earn over £50,000 in profits, the VAT for tourism and hospitality sectors is still set to increase from 12.5% back to 20% on the 1st of April this year. I thought he might have stopped that. He didn't. And we will all be paying the extra under the health and social care levy, the national insurance increase and national uh, insurance contribution increase of 1.25 from the 6th of April also. So he could have delayed those, but he has chosen not to. So there we are. Well, basically, what? it's going to cost us a lot more, but 5p less on fuel. And that's about it. But look at the big, um, the big picture, apart from people at the very low end of earning thresholds who will not, um, well, the, the uh, minimum amount you can earn has gone up. Um, well, we'll have to see. We'll have to see if he has to do more in due course, and that's going to depend on the impact on the economy, isn't it? Yeah, he hasn't ruled that out, but he hasn't promised anything either. So what, what can you actually do, um, listeners? At the moment, I think the best you can do is write to your MP. If you don't know who that is um, and you don't know what to write, some of the trade associations have templates for this. I know that um, I happened to land on the RHA website the other day. That was available to non-members as well. You can just click on. You can find your local MP on their MP searcher and you can use their um, template letters. I know the CPT normally do something similar for members. I haven't looked to see if they have that this time. Uh, it's the case of the squeakiest but wheel gets the most oil from what I can see. 
Yeah, um, and, and you've got to keep making noise. Uh, and in fact, come up with these suggestions. Um, you know, sometimes you'd be surprised. They are, at the end of the day, only ordinary people, MPs, and sometimes they're not aware of things that actually could make a big difference. And if you don't tell them, they don't think of it. So um, never be frightened of having a dialogue, either through your local MP or directly through DFT, um, just by talking to them and explaining what you need and why you need it. And you'd be surprised that actually MPs are very accessible because uh, they have to be, because that's the nature of our democracy. So don't be frightened of using it. If you ever want help with that, you can always talk to us about it. But as you said quite rightly, um, the um, uh, James has just given me the eye, which has just thrown me off. Uh, but as you said quite rightly, yeah. um, uh, if you uh, uh, if you talk to your local MP as a great starting point, then uh, then they might be able to get some wheels uh, in motion for you. Just before we move on, I just got. Oh, sorry, Joe. No, carry on. Oh no, it's it's the end. It's finishing off your subject. So I'll let you 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 go, and then I'll I'll go in between. I think I finished. I was just going to say. I think James was giving you the eye to move us on, maybe. No, it wasn't. He was trying to indicate that Chloe had something to say. I was doing my best to stop it, but uh, unfortunately, she jumped in anyway. Anyway, so we've got a few. Comments. We can't see you, Chloe. Okay, sorry guys. We've got a few comments from the audience and a few questions. Um, someone's saying that the RHA fuel cards were actually reduced from six pence yesterday. Oh, brilliant. And I know, a big difference. And someone's just asked, uh, is it, well, a statement, is it not illegal to use any handheld device while driving, not just a mobile phone? Does it, could it be like a calculator or something else? Yeah, okay. It probably is um, because there is. Uh, overriding law which makes it an offence to not be in proper control of your vehicle that pre-existed the mobile phone specific offences but the mobile phone specific offences were framed around mobile communication devices um, but in, in reality you, you're taking a big risk if you're doing anything other than holding the wheel when you're driving thank you and someone else has just said um we, could, we said something's related to small businesses and um, what classes is a small business? Yeah, well, that's a question I did ask Joe earlier, but I don't sorry. think she absolutely knew. I didn't ask on the chat. Oh, I asked sorry. before <laughs> the chat, but I don't think you actually knew the answer. So what, what I think um, we'll do, Joe, Joe's had to do a lot of really bone rushing around this morning, but she might be able to look it up while we're talking through the next section. And the then, best I can't, I can't have a quick look, but the best thing to do is um, speak to your accountant because he will know it's tax yeah. and NR based. He will know the thresholds of whether it applies to you or not and what you'll get out of it. And we'll probably do, um, can do run a model for you and show you how much you'll save or not. Perfect. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Yeah, always go to the accountant for this. Um, we can tell you what's happening, but we can't necessarily tell you whether it'll work for you. <laughs> Okay, um, and so we'll move on now um, if the uh, slide changes. And we've got a bit of a scenario here, and then we're going to just ask a very quick poll. There's only one poll in this presentation, but it's going to come after this scenario. A DBSA investigation has identified that several of your drivers have routinely been driving without a driver card. In. Um, you're the transport manager. You've not spotted this as you've not been analysing the vehicle unit data. The matter is being reported to the Traffic Commissioner and you're going to be called to a public inquiry. You now need to explain the situation to your company's directors. So that's the scenario. So first of all, 
if you're if you're senior in the business, uh, answer the question um, that from that perspective. And if you are, for example, a transport manager reporting it up the chain, answer it from that perspective. So, how comfortable would your people feel if they had a serious issue or bad news to bring to your attention? In other words, do you take bad news well or badly? That's really the question. Do you think your staff are worried about telling you? So have a quick go through the poll. So the options are they wouldn't hesitate. They'll have some reservations, but would let me know ASAP. They might need a stiff drink first. I like that <laughs> one. It might get brushed under the carpet. So I'll just, I can see half of you have already voted. I'll just let the other half finish and then we'll read out the results. We don't know what your individual no. response is. We only know the overall picture. So don't worry about being identified as being a good or a bad boss. I quite like them. They might need a stiff drink first, <laughs> just in general. <laughs> Have one anyway. I'd like to think here that they wouldn't hesitate, but you don't, you don't actually know. We sit in this world where we assume um, how people perceive us, but actually that might not be how they perceive us. I wouldn't hesitate personally. No, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> right. You we'll probably do it on the webinar so that you have the defence mechanism. That's good. Then everyone could stick up for me. Yeah. Got it. Right. I'll just share the results. So that's interesting. So 61% of you are of the view that your staff wouldn't hesitate to bring this news. Um, 36% are, are pretty honest about it. Um, and, and would think that the staff would have some res uh, reservations about bringing it forward, but they would let you know. 1% um, reckons they'd have a stiff drink first, and 2% think it might get brushed under the carpet. Of course, those last two are quite serious. So this is John's big first uh, go. John, first of all, how do you approach something like this? You're, you're, you're a member of a team. You've got a very important role but your boss is a bit of a dragon. How how do you take it from that point? What, what are you going to do? So I think there are a few things that, that we can do when we find ourselves in that situation that potentially make it a bit easier because we can do some preparation first. Um, and we're not talking about having the luxury of the time to pull loads of information together because you probably need to raise an issue before you've got the full picture. But there are three questions that we can ask that I think can really help in these situations. And they are, does this need to be said? So does it need to be raised? The next question is, does it need to be said by me? So therefore, am I the best, the most appropriate person to have this conversation? And the third one is, does this need to be said by me now? So, yes, I am the person to have that conversation. But is now the best and most appropriate time to have that conversation? And I think they, they would help from two angles. Firstly, because sometimes we're reluctant to have that conversation because we're not sure how um, it will be received by the recipient, particularly if they're our boss. Um, but also um, there are some times when we might have a tendency to jump in a bit too quickly when a little bit of a layback and getting a bit more information may help in the longer term. OK, so. Um, so there's some core questions. Now, in this particular scenario, I don't think anybody would doubt that, first of all, yes, it does need to be said. It's really important. I mean, it's a license losing and potentially very serious prosecution matter. 
does it need to be said by you? Well, if you're the transport manager or senior person, yes. Even if you're low down in the organization, you need to move it up the chain rapidly. So if you're if you're aware of it and you're not aware that anybody else knows about it, then yeah, the, it needs to be moved up the chain. And does it need to be said now? Well, my view is it does need to be said very quickly. Um, however, um, is there a technique of giving information like this that can help deliver the message? Yes, I think there is. There's something that can really help in these circumstances. And it can make the difference between something being seen as a, a whinge or a moan or just being negative to actually being a constructive um, evidence-based point that has a solution attached to it potentially. Um, and there's three stages to that too. I like things that come in threes because that's about all I can remember in one go. Um, but this is called the three-stage assertion statement. And effectively, what you do is, first of all, clearly set out the situation. So what's happened? What are the circumstances that you're needing to discuss? The second one is to identify and clearly set out what the potential or real implications are of that. And then the third one is to propose a potential solution. Now, you may not be in a position to fully present that uh, as a proposal, but certainly having the knowledge that you have as a background and in your role, which is a professional role, you probably have a very good idea of which direction would be wise for the business to take. And so therefore, being able to present that to the directors or to the board would probably be a very good starting point for that conversation. And the difference is that it takes it from, as I said before, uh, a moan and negative view to something that's more likely to be um, accepted in good faith in the way in which you intend it, even though it might be a very difficult conversation. In other words, don't just bring me problems, bring me solutions or potential solutions. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Uh, and prevarication, delay, rarely improves the conversation, does it? No, no, it doesn't. It's always better in any circumstances, even with things that aren't this serious in nature, to nip things in the bud. Because chances are, if you don't do so, um, they will have a habit of coming back and biting you later. And if you're listening to this and you've had a similar scenario or you've had something covered up by uh, a member of staff that you wish they'd brought to you as a problem, uh, let us know. You know, it might be helpful to share that experience and, and how you dealt with that. How did you change that culture if you felt that culture was there and you weren't aware of it? Um, so on the other side of the equation, basically, here, how does a director um, encourage this type of conversation? Yeah. So I think there's a, it's sometimes useful to think about how that might be discouraged. So what we might do as leaders in businesses that discourages people from coming forward now, the poll suggests that this isn't too much of a cause for concern for the people who are, are joining us today. And, but I think one of the key things is to think about the culture of your organization. Um, and I think what we're after is to establish a culture that's based on accountability. So everybody knows what their responsibility is and where that begins and ends. And perhaps equally as importantly, when their responsibility ends, who then does it get passed on to? rather than a culture of blame. So accountability rather than blame, because I firmly believe that um, issues often arise because people feel that if they do raise a problem, the person who's in receipt of that information, so in this case, likely to be a director in an organization, will be immediately looking for somebody to blame for that and therefore turn the tables. And if I think you're gonna blame me, I'm probably got a certain reticence in raising the issue in the first place. Yeah. So. Um 
there's no point flying off the handle and stomping around the place. What you've got to be is cool, calm, rational, listen, and then help find a solution. Um, and it's, it all sounds very obvious until that really bad problem arises. So it's good to practice and be prepared to deal with that. And most people in, in business and certainly in senior management will be aware of difficult conversations and will have difficult conversations on a regular basis. It might also be the case that if there's more than one of you in senior management or directorial, that one of you is better and more approachable than the others. And is that a, a tool you can use as a board? I would say absolutely, yes. That helps the overall communication, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, we certainly have directors that members of staff might go to for certain things and other directors who they um, will go to for different things. So uh, it's quite interesting, I think, in in our dynamic of, of six directors who might be picked for what uh, piece of information transfer uh, that's being required. We've got a few comments, um, if this is a good time. Um, yeah. So some people, have, quite a few people have said that they do try and, and in, to have an open door policy to their business and they really try and have the dialogue. Um, someone's put, from an ETM perspective, a lot of operators will keep things from you. I don't know a way, a way around that. I am one of the most open and honest TMs and I've always encouraged an open dialogue. Most compliance is seen as a burden and the, less, and the less they tell you, the less you can infringe on the way they want to operate. Obviously, this user ends in resignation before too long. It's definitely a cycle with smaller and less compliant operators that work with ETMs. Yeah, and I think that's not uncommon. Uh, and encouraging people to talk also depends on what their previous employment experience has been like. So um, and when we had several people come from a different uh, law firm background to ours where there was a massive blame culture and, and actually quite an aggressive or bordering on abusive culture in that organisation. And when they first joined us, some of them really struggled to transfer from that self-protection uh, position into one of just complete frankness mm. um, but generally you can get them there just by being open and then when they do tell you something even marginally negative uh, you don't receive it in a negative way you receive it positively okay right that's the problem you've almost inevitably seen these problems before and you can normally solve them um, but also having dialogue with people when there is nothing important yeah. You know, uh, uh, understanding people's motivations, their, their, uh, their enjoyment of the job and their concerns and frustrations with the job helps those people trust you. So it's about building trust as well, isn't it? But all easily said, uh, and um, I think James always used to say, you aren't who you think you are, you're who other people believe you are. And that's an interesting, uh, I prefer to be who I think I am, of course. <laughs> The interesting thing that I find is that they've said on this scenario that the, the mistake, the, the transport manager has made a mistake. And it's if the transport manager would feel comfortable saying that they've made the mistake rather than they can tell them about the situation, but not maybe say about the mistake that they've made sometimes. I know he's getting on the same thing, yeah, but it's, it's always better to say it all at once. You've it's got always to going to be far easier. Yeah. So it's always going to be far easier if you haven't got any responsibility yeah. in this. Yeah. From a TM perspective, you're likely to have. And, and, um, and there's no point going to the board and blaming the board either. I mean, the, they might be to blame, but throwing blame around just creates more yeah. drama. One disarming thing you can do is you can approach 
uh, if you're a transport manager and you're talking to your drivers, or if you're a, um, a board member and you're talking to your transport managers or your drivers, just occasionally offer up a mistake that you've made, generally, you know, so that you're frank about, you know, your own mess ups. Yeah. Because let's face it, there isn't a person listening to this that at some point or another hasn't made a significant mistake in the course of their employment. Mm -hmm. Some of you, some of us are luckier than others as to the consequences of that, but all of us are messed up. All of us. Um, and so, you know, talking about that with your team when it's not under pressure may make it easier for them to talk about it with you when it is. Now, actually, if James and Laura just pop onto the screen, um, well, I noticed Chloe was shaking her head when uh, you said all of us have messed up at least no, once. No, she I, clearly doesn't think she has. I know, I, I will admit I have messed up. I'm saying it's, it's quite Oh, my God, can we have that in writing as well? Have you ever said you've messed up? Well, I haven't yet, but when I have, I will. Well, I think what, mm. what you were saying, that's quite interesting. And sorry if I'm putting in. I've, I've only come to this about an hour ago. But if you if you could often look at things that have gone wrong, not even in your organisation, but in others, and what has then gone right, you could do like a weekly bulletin, right? So this this has gone wrong there, and this is how to make it right. And if this happens to us. Yeah, certainly experience yeah. learned is yeah. a good conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So, Laura, what's likely to happen to a TM in this position? Um, well, I think it's interesting what John was talking about in terms of blame, because ultimately that's exactly what the Traffic Commission is going to do to both the transport manager and the directors. There's going to be blame directed at both parts of that relationship. Um, and I think the transport manager in particular has to recognise in this situation they've not done what they should have done but both they and the directors need to work together to reach a solution or they're both likely to suffer consequences. And for the transport manager personally, that is going to potentially be um, a loss of their good repute um, at public inquiry before the traffic commissioner because missing mileage and analysis of that vehicle unit data is a key part of any tachograph management system. In fact, it's the starting point for DVSA when they come to do an investigation. And whilst there isn't any guidance, and I know if I hadn't said that, James certainly would have done, there's no guidance whatsoever in terms of what your management systems for tachograph should look like. The traffic commissioners... Oh, you're frozen, Laura. So um, you've, got, you've disappeared, Laura. So we can now see you talking, but we can't hear you. Sorry, right, I can carry on. In, in essence, the point that Laura's making quite vociferously, even though nobody okay. can hear her. Oh, did I stopped? We couldn't hear you at all, Laura. We lost you halfway through. So oh, yeah. um, you, you were like a puppet miming. Um, so those who were me obviously picked it up very well. The rest of us struggled. But just to, to take that on a step, um, we've got a company that could have a really serious impact as well. We've got a transport manager who could have a really serious impact. And if this is talking about how you're going to deal with this issue, what's the yeah. best scenario? And James, what, what, do you, what would you say is the best way forward here um, yeah. about dialogue and about solving the problem? I think probably one of the most important things to remember is that within any organisation, it's not avoiding every single problem. Um, that is necessarily the measure of a good business. You can't do that. You're going to have problems and sometimes serious problems. It's how you manage that problem that is actually going to define what the outcome before the traffic commissioner is. And that's true if you're a transport manager too. So here, the earliest you get some form of action plan going, 
to solve it. And the more comprehensive and robust that action plan, the greater the probability you're going to avoid any form of sanction down the line. And it is an issue, I think. I mean, Jonathan mentioned it in a sort of straightforward way that traffic commissioners do look to blame the transport manager and do look to blame the um, the, the directors. They do. And if, in fact, I think it's a weakness of the system. And I've long argued that, that, that where they do that, and they don't always do it, it um, it's the wrong approach. In the end, you need to identify competency. And if the person is competent but has messed up, it, they shouldn't have action taken against them. Their competency should be recognised and should be left to get on with it. If they're incompetent, in spite of trying hard to put it right, then sadly that's the end of the road. But it's not a blame game. It's, a, it's an assessment of ability. And so what you need to do is get that information accurately investigated immediately even if it's been picked up by the DVSA, do your own thorough investigation and then comprehensively solve the problem. And if you don't know how to do that, and in fairness with tachographs, you probably won't, which is probably why you're in the mess in the first place. Get advice then as the DVSA close the door and give yourself the best shot. That's true for the transport manager and it's also true for the directors. And I understand that there's some really good training on tachograph. <laughs> Tachograph systems and the new rules regarding tachographs that's been delivered by, is it Backhouse James? Um, I think it might be, um, in fact, by Laura and uh, James, and um, in fact, an independent um, tachograph consultant, Gordon Humphreys, who is, in our opinion anyway, the best in the country at what he does, although there are some very good other ones there, one of whom may well be listening right now and always comments. Um, but actually, we have done this programme with Gordon, um, and he's very good. Um, so, in reality, dialogue, open and frank, as early as possible, and start looking to see how you're going to solve the problem. You can't retrospectively mend it, but you can take issue going forwards, and you can put things right. So, when they come and visit, you may have solved it. And even more, by the time you get to a hearing, you may actually be an extremely compliant operation. And that makes it much harder for the traffic commissioner to then take action. So let's move on to the second slide. Then you missed a vital chunk of information when you were talking about the training, and we've had two people ask. Do the you dates. want <laughs> the dates? Do you want to say the dates or do you want me to say well, the I'll let you say the dates, though, okay. if you jumped in. Okay, Jonathan doesn't know the dates, but they are the 14th of April. And we're running another one again on the 4th of May. Yeah, 4th of May. 4th of May. Just to remind you that the Technograph training um, on the 14th and 5th, those two that we're talking about are about the new rules. Um, if you're not aware of them, haven't been on the training on them, probably 100% of drivers out there are not doing what they should be doing properly at the moment, certainly in the late 90s percent. They probably don't understand what they're obliged to do, and as employers or managers, you're probably not managing them correctly. It is a sea change in what's required. There has been no guidance on it. So if you if the, if all this is double Dutch to you, um, then that might be ordinarily the case on a Friday webinar. But if it isn't, and this is double Dutch, please sign up for the training. You do need it. It is, and well, we're the only people offering this course at the moment, and it is comprehensive what's happened. Yeah, and there's a lot of good information in that course. Okay, let's move to the second scenario as the clock uh, is still ticking. Oh, Laura's just said we've lost about it, but I do think she's back. So. I'm here. <laughs> coming and going like a yo-yo. We'll jump in if need be. Normally your link's good. I don't know what's going wrong today. I know. Okay. I've, not, I've not done one from home for a while, have I? So. Uh... No. 
Um, you've not paid your bill, that's the problem. Um, <laughs> it could well be. <laughs> you're a transport manager. You used to work for the operator part-time, three days each week. But in the autumn of 21, you took a full-time driving job for a different operator. You needed the money. The operator couldn't afford to pay you more or give you more hours, and the driver shortage meant driver wages were high. I reckon this is quite common. You're still named, however, on the operator's license for the original operator's transport manager, and you do oversee the activities, but one of the girls in the office runs things on a day-to-day -day basis. You do pop in from time to time, although you don't have a set hours of work. Um, and at the end of the phone, if, you, if they need you, but you don't get paid, uh, and they're only really doing it as a favour to the operator. So, Laura, is there a problem here? Oh, hang on, no, there's a continued bit. You and the operator have been called to a PI. And, and so it looks like Backhouse Jones are getting some good fun here. Um, and after the DBSA stopped on the vehicles and its tax had expired and the driver wasn't hadn't put his card in, a follow-up DBSA investigation was unsatisfactory and identified shortcomings in several areas of the system. Okay, um, Laura, what's your starting point here? The start, well, actually, first and foremost, Jonathan, this, as you said, is really common. I've, I've personally had a number of cases with this similar facts, uh, set of facts in the last um, couple of months. And it is a real issue because the transport manager ultimately is a name on a license and nothing more, really. Um, they're not going, they're not doing the job in the way that's expected. They're not even getting paid for it. They're all key red flags to a traffic commissioner, to a DBSA examiner. And ultimately, the traffic commissioner's starting point is that that transport manager's lost their repute and the operator's license is without professional competence and therefore doesn't meet one of the mandatory requirements for having that license. So it's a really significant issue. Um, and you need to make sure that you're not allowing yourself to unfortunately um, fall into that situation. Um, from both a transport manager and an operator perspective, because there, is, there are potentially huge consequences for both. It's almost like winding the clock, and James will remember this, back to the late 90s, early noughties, when the transport managers were often, or at least the nominated TPC holders, were often drivers who never spent any time in the office. The lucky uh, thing about that period of time is they almost never came to the PI either. Um, so uh, there'd be directors talking about how the whole function was met without actually bringing the driver with them who happened to be on the license. So it's not a new problem, this. Um, no. it, it's, it's a different variation of an old problem. And it's, of course, the test of continuous and effective. What are the likely outcomes here, James? Well, first of all, it is unlawful to have a, a transport manager who's a volunteer. So unless there's a contractual basis to the relationship with the transport manager, that is not a transport manager that's validly on the license. So you are without professional competence. So the level best you could hope for in a, with a major following wind and Christmas Day, sorry, Father Christmas sitting as traffic commissioner, is a period of grace to put that right. Realistically, the transport manager who's allowed himself to go on a license voluntarily is going to lose their repute because you're not allowed to do that. And the operator is going to lose their license for want of a transport manager. And the um, resultant failures, which are on this slide at the moment, are going to be pinned down to the failure of the company and its board to manage the transport management function within the business lawfully. 
and ensure that the transport manager was doing it properly. And in turn, it's going to fall down on the transport manager who was part time and wasn't doing it properly. So, so I'm afraid this is probably going to involve a disqualification on the part of the transport manager and maybe on the part of the board of the company, depending on the particular facts. It's, it's at the more serious end. In the end, yeah. it's a fundamental requirement to have professional competence and it's there for a reason. And Jonathan's right about the late 90s. 90s. Sorry, uh, Chloe's got a question. No, no, absolutely fish, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, it, it, it was like that then. They just used to say the traffic conditions. It's funny looking at it now, but they used to ask the question, have you got a transport manager? Yes. Do they have a certificate of professional competence? Yes. Okay, we'll move on. That was it. You know, um, but actually that's not the law. It wasn't then. Um, but the law is, you know, in fairness, quite properly, but thoroughly enforced now. If you do this, you're looking at revocation and disqualification if that makes anybody listening feel a bit uncomfortable about their particular position please put it right now the earliest possible time that you solve a problem reduces as we've already said the likelihood of an adverse outcome um if you come to us with that problem once it's first identified we may also be able to make serious improvements yeah. to the situation for you um, traffic commissioners do understand the pressures people were under during the COVID crisis. However, um, sitting on the problem or ignoring the problem or not solving the problem makes it way worse than just it's been identified, solve it. And if you solve it, again, it's harder for the traffic commissioner to be as severe in sanction. But you'd like to think they wouldn't want to be. <laughs> I've got a question. Um I am the only transport manager for our family business. Yeah. My husband is the only driver. Should we be showing the payment to me each month? Right, okay. Is, is that, own business? Yeah, are you a partner or director of the company or a shareholder in the company? Those are all what's known as genuine links <laughs> and therefore probably it doesn't matter that there's no actual payment to you, albeit um really you don't want paying for it but you know that's a matter for you um but if you have a genuine link to this however if it's a limited company entirely owned by your husband and he is the only shareholder the only director and the only employee which sometimes happens yeah. the license is in his name and you're the transport manager on it then yeah in those circumstances you do need to show the transactional relationship being a wife or if you're a wife or, or brother or whatever it is in the situation, is not a genuine link. Is it easier to, for her to, say, get paid or to become, say, a director? That's very much a decision for them to make um, on the ground. It's very much about what you want to It doesn't do. matter either way. It doesn't matter either way. But, the, but it would be very helpful to have a contract that identifies the nature of the relationship because that's physical evidence. Um, uh, and sh you should have an, a contract anyway as an employee. Even a director should have a contract uh, to work for the company. And we can help with that, of course, if, if you require. It's straightforward. It, it is. It is. Um, okay, and scenario number three, you've had a few MOT fails in recent months, and now one of your vehicles has been issued with an SMART prohibition at the roadside for a long-standing defect that the vehicle examiner considered was something that your fitter should have identified at the vehicle's last safety inspection, which was only just over a week ago. The fitter is the brother of one of the directors. Okay, so 
Is there not another slide? No. <laughs> uh, um, I don't know where my page three is now. I've lost my page three. But um, if we just start here um, uh, with Laura, because uh, hopefully we'll be able to hear you. I hope you don't get cut okay, off. Fine. <laughs> um, where's the starting point here? The starting point, it, you've had an S-mark prohibition, so that's a serious matter. It's a significant failing in the opinion of that examiner in your systems. And in this respect, you, you're fitter and your maintenance provision. So as transport manager, you need to be effectively managing the provision of maintenance, regardless of the fact that the fitter is the brother of one of your directors. And I think that's where everything John said at the outset comes in about those difficult conversations, because ultimately um, you've got MOT fails and an SMART prohibition. On the face of it, that suggests that the fitter's not doing what he should be or he's not up to it. And both of those require a resolution. And the starting point for any form of resolution is raising that with the fitter, if you've got authority as transport manager or ultimately upstream with the directors. And in this particular set of facts, that is going to be a challenging conversation, I imagine. Um, but it's one that you yeah, can't avoid. Just, just taking that conversation um, uh, for a moment. If you are prohibited effectively from carrying out your function as a transport manager because of fear of reprisal over the person whom you're trying to manage, um, what, what position does that put you in, James? Yeah, you, in that scenario, ultimately you have to resign. Uh, basically, in traditional parlance, you were supposed to write to the board of directors setting out what your concerns were, requiring them to be put right within a sensible and swift time scale. And if they weren't, then you were supposed to resign. Um, and of course, that would probably be constructive and fair dismissal. So the company's facing a, a bit of a nightmare from an employment point of view. And in any event, you're supposed to tell the traffic commissioner the basis upon which you're leaving. If you don't, they'll probably ask. Um, and, uh, of course, that's going to create a problem for the company. In truth, these family links and scenarios are difficult, and family businesses have many advantages. I mean, we're a family business here when all's said and done, um, and various different families, but we're very much a family business. And, and, you know, it does bring with it the challenge of dealing with problems associated, you know, with, with family members. I mean, it's just part and parcel. But, of course, the advantages are people will work, related to the evening weekends and the, the atmosphere breeds some benefits here i'm interested in looking at this scenario is that is it a, a change in behavior from a previously competent fitter to, to a problematic one it might be easy to address that has he always been rubbish then really you should have been picking up that yourself by looking at the test pass rate, by looking at the form completion by looking at vehicle condition and repetitive defects and so on and ultimately as a transport manager with a director, there's a trust relationship. If you can't get past this with that trust relationship, you probably are in the point of having to resign. Now then, John, you were telling us how to have a difficult conversation. This is a difficult conversation. How, how would you approach something like this? So I think there's something that's um, really interesting to be aware of here, which is another three, funnily enough. Um, but there's something called transactional analysis that people may have come across, and it's really to set you up to be prepared for some of the potential circumstances. And it effectively says that when we have a conversation, we either tend to behave as a parent, an adult or a child. So the child would stop, deny any knowledge of it. No, nothing to do with me. Um, must be somebody else's fault. 
the the parent on the other hand would tend to fall into one of two categories either be very nurturing and say oh no i know you've made a mistake you know and not really deal with the issue or would be overly critical and just really blame and then you'd probably end up with a conflict even if it's within a family situation like this so where you need to get to is a position where you're behaving as an adult having what we would generally call an adult conversation where i'm sticking to the facts taking the emotion out of the situation and having given some thought to the likely response that i'm going to get to this so you can prepare for some of the likely reactions if you do that, it's probably going to increase the success of that conversation. Okay, there you go. That's another tip of three. Thank you very much, John. I, I actually think um, it's interesting because I've often found in public inquiry, and I don't think they intend to do it, but some traffic commissioners or deputy traffic commissioners can find themselves treating the uh, operator or the transport manager like a child. Uh, in school and they become the uh, the headmaster or the headmistress and in fact I think Beverly Bell, Beverly Bell famously used to a whole series of presentations calling herself the demon headmistress and actually that's very much in line with your analysis there and instead of identifying themselves uh, and also operators and identifying themselves in a sort of adult-child relationship what actually should happen is a frank an honest conversation uh, without tempers or tantrums um, between uh, adults and, and, and that's some, that, that can be a challenge though we all know people in our organizations who tend to have tantrums and we also know people who keep very cool heads and, and, uh, uh, and we all know who we would prefer to deal with most of the time when it comes to a challenging conversation and which, which of those camps would you put yourself in and those those who who are listening to this who wants to vote on whether jonathan is the tantrum or the cool head I'm a very cool head. <laughs> I will have you know. Tantrum. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> not me. Thanks, Chloe. It's Thanks, Chloe. Since he's reading out the comments. Read out comments. I've no doubt she's brought conversations to me many times where I haven't had the tantrum. No, yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not tantrum type at all. There's another. There's a. There's there is a, a huge push in many PIs to be to be punitive and humiliating to the operator and director. It's a throwback to when the TCs were ex-military and that behaviour was acceptable. I know you are tied on an opinion about this, but it does need to change in line with what John is saying. Yeah, some of them are very good now. Um, uh, I mean, it, it has moved over the years. You are right that historically um, some of the relationships were way too sort of authoritarian and not enough. What the actual role is, it's not about blame and it's certainly not about punishment. The role is actually about achieving an outcome with the least impact that is always the regulator's role with the least impact but an outcome that brings compliance um, but i think we don't train people in this you know they're not trained in how to actually conduct a public inquiry it's only where you see some traffic commissioners and actually uh, and uh, some of the very new traffic commissioners uh, are really good at remaining adult. That's the only way I can describe it. Uh, and, uh, and actually really having a constructive and mature dialogue 
Um, and I was dealing actually with the Scottish Traffic Commission, the new Scottish Traffic Commission, about 12 months ago now. She was very new in post. Um, it was a complicated case that had been going on a while. And, uh, and I started, she, she asked me about outcomes, etc. And I said, well, as you're aware, this operator's got a significant margin. And she immediately said, Mr. Backhouse, I'm not interested in making decisions for the sake of it. Unless the decision actually has a purpose uh, that's actually going to benefit the situation, I'm not going to make an adverse decision. And, and that's right. She's doing the job properly. And I was really refreshed to hear that because that is the way in which it's supposed to be conducted, in my opinion. Um, and, and I think a lot of traffic commissioners are working towards that. Um, but they do get frustrated because they get lied to. They get the same rubbish time and again. They get ill-prepared people who've also having the tantrum, behaving like the child in front of the traffic commissioner, having the tantrum. Um, I would say they've been spoiled by the mothers, but there you go. Uh, but we've... But, so, so it's not just the traffic commissioner. You know, the operator themselves have got to behave in an adult and mature manner. If you want to be treated like an adult, behave like an adult. You know, it does work both ways. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and it's important always to keep a cool head. Uh, um, if, you, if you lose it, if you lose control, you're inevitably going to come off worse uh, as a result of this. Look, we, we have been going an hour gone. Not so much just said uh, also that the TC in Wales is brilliant. She's been she impressed me with her conduct so far. She is. Victoria Davis mm -hmm. is, is extremely level-headed, mature, sensible, um, rational, and also works through the problem in a very coherent and, and, uh, and proper manner. Let's uh, be careful. They're all brilliant. Uh, oh, no, yeah. This is available as a podcast, folks. But it's interesting that the new ones are really good. They're starting. Maybe they've had training. Uh, well, they have. They've sat with their colleagues and, and, and maybe that's helped them hit the ground running because nobody really knows how to be a traffic commissioner until they've actually done the job for a while. Those who've done the job for a while, obviously, um, are very experienced and very skilled. Um, uh, although Laura seems to have a nice smile on her face. OK, um, listen, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, John, for your first one. I think you've done very well there. Um, the only thing I would advise is look at the actual camera, even though you're speaking to me sometimes in answer. Um, and uh, James, thanks again. Uh, Joe, thanks. Um, she's obviously tried to look up what a small business is, not been able to find it, and so let it go. And thanks, Laura, even with the challenges, as insightful as ever. And great to see you back, um, Julia, um, who's also Chloe. And uh, we will see you uh, hopefully again in about a month, I think. Um, I don't know whether you'll be on one of these, though. Well, I'm just highlighting the ones that I'm doing if anyone wants to see me again. Can you I just wonder why you're highlighting, Chloe. I thought I was a... I found a new function, so there we go. That's what I do. <laughs> so, um, so we're going to see a bit of Chloe coming up. She doesn't come back full-time until, I think, the end of August, beginning of September. She's having an unbelievable amount of holidays in between now and then, having just come back from only Tenerife. Uh, and... Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, we look forward to her every time she comes, not least of which because I like taking her. Okay, thank you very much. See you all. Thank you. Next time. <laughs>